Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Imperfect Eco Hero podcast. My name is Jordan, and today we're starting off with a little bit of a story time because today's guest I actually hadn't heard of or the work they do until I went to Switzerland back in April. You know, Switzerland is known for many things. They have some of the best cheeses, clocks, mountain ranges and hikes, but it's their baked goods and chocolate that they are the most renowned for. And best believe I was very, very thorough about testing that out. But it was one day in particular, while I was walking around Switzerland's capital city, Bern, with my family, that one bakery in particular stood out amongst the rest. And that was because of its name, Aspar. Yeah, you heard that right, Aspar. And like any North American, it very much piqued my interest. Little did I know that I was about to stumble into one of the first projects of its kind, hoping to curb food waste using baked goods. Hey, this is Jordan. And this is Mimi. And welcome to the Imperfect Eco Hero Podcast. The series that connects community, normalizes imperfections, and empowers heroes. Project Aspar was founded when the shocking discovery was made that one third of all Swiss food ends up being wasted which is the same worldwide. Food waste is actually one of the largest contributors to the climate crisis. And if food waste were measured as a country, it'd be the world's third worst emitter of greenhouse gases. Did you know that? That's equal to about 1.3 billion tons of fruits, vegetables, meat, dairy, seafood, and grains that either never leave the farm, get lost or spoiled during distribution, or are thrown away in hotels, grocery stores, restaurants, schools, or home kitchens. And that food would be enough to feed every undernourished person on the planet. But wasted food isn't just a social or humanitarian concern, it's an environmental one. When we waste food, we also waste all the energy and water it takes to grow, harvest, transport, and package it. And if food goes to the landfill, and rots, it produces methane, a greenhouse gas even more potent than carbon dioxide. About 6 to 8% of all human-caused greenhouse gases could be reduced if we stopped wasting food. Which is exactly what our guest today, Dr. Raoul Stockle, one of the co-founders of Aspar, will be talking about today. Raoul is a serial entrepreneur, driving innovation from renewable energy to urban mobility. His Swiss DNA for quality and reliability coupled with his drive for creating sustainable change, has created a series of disruptive innovations. Not all of them have been met with the spirit of the times and hence have been successful, but all had the mission of generating value whilst making the world a better place. In addition to initiating and building his own startups, like Aspar, Raul has held various executive positions in strategy and innovation at large Swiss corporations. Today, as a board member and chairman, he supports companies in strategic matters, and as a managing partner at Stravox, he coaches selected small and medium-sized companies in turnarounds and scaling. Raoul holds a Master's in Science and Material Sciences from the University of Kent in Canterbury, and a PhD in Physics from ETH Zurich, and an MBA from INSEED. So hello, Raoul. Really great to have you on. When Jordan came back from her trip in Switzerland and we were chatting, the very, very first thing she told me about was Aspar. So I'm very pumped to have you here and to talk to you and to learn all about your environmental journey and also about Aspar. But I do want to address 
the elephant in the room because as an English speaker, the title Asbar, the name Asbar is quite hilarious. And I know you've told us that um, other English speakers have taken photos of the sign of Asbar and it's become a meme. So- I'm one of those people who did take <laughs> yeah. photos with my family. <laughs> Very so provocative. What does the name mean? What, why, the, why that name? Well, thanks for uh, having me um, on the show. Um, Asbar actually is a, is a word game also in German or in Swiss German. It means edible. And at the same time, it's kind of a bar where you can get food. So it's kind of a work in there as well. Oh, but amazing. you're right. As far, we weren't thinking about too much uh, internationally. We were like focusing on Swiss term part first. So it, it's very short name. It's very symmetric. So that's why we took it. <laughs> I love that. Well, I mean, if it makes people take photos and spread the word, why not? Right. So <laughs> and, and what is Asbar? Can you tell me a little bit about what you do and what the whole idea is? Well, Espar is a bakery chain. So we have different outlets. And what we do is we collect baked goods that bakeries don't sell in the evening. Usually they have leftovers about 10% of whatever they sell during the day. So we collect the baked goods and we sell them the next day for half the price. So we are kind of combating food waste but in a, in a way that it's, it's, we're not addressing food waste, but more the baked goods at cheap price. It's convenient and they still taste uh, excellent. I can confirm they did taste amazing in every um, little like city and town that we went to. And what was really great, and I, you can definitely touch upon this now or a bit later, was it was great that both the Aspars that I had went to had different baked goods in it and also not just baked goods baked breads it had teas but i like that it was so different and there were so many different things that we got to try at like a fraction of the cost and i I was curious if that was intentional to have it be different in every different aspar as well so since we take whatever is left over in the evening we don't really know what we're gonna have the next day and that changed that varies a lot Uh, depending also on location we're collecting about from 200 to 300 depending on the day and season bakeries so there's a lot of bakeries so we might have one type of pastries and from from 10 different bakeries so they all kind of are the same but they look different and taste like different but that as you said selection is huge but it's not very consistent so every day we have something new we have salty stuff like sandwiches and quiche and, and so on but you also have regular bread and small breads and, and pastries and, and tarts and all these different things that you would expect in a bakery. Did you find it hard to get these bakeries to agree to this? Like how, how did you even come up with this project? Bakery? Yeah, I would love to know like the beginning, the genesis of this. So three friends and, and myself, you're we always looking into something that we could do ourselves. And we tried different things. We did uh, a platform where we could exchange in it ideas and innovations and so on that didn't work out we were building a a platform where you could trade renewable energy certificates and that didn't really work out either so uh, we we were always being this kind of environmental social impact area but uh, nothing really worked out and one idea we had was um, and and I I actually came about this uh, on my trip to Paris where I saw that a bakery store was selling baguettes and those French uh, lovely bread, but they were selling it the next day. So it was brutally hard. You couldn't really eat it, but they're still selling it at a very cheap price. 
and and I was talking to the baker and, and and yes, people are actually were buying the bread for different reasons. And I thought, well, if if they could sell baguettes the next day, it would perfectly make sense to also sell other baked goods that's more durable um, in in the next day. And so we we started and talked to three different bakery large bakery chains in Switzerland, what they would do with their leftovers in the evenings. And they were happy to try out to actually give them to us so we could resell them uh, for another day. And, and that's how, how the whole thing started. And in the beginning, we had to kind of convince all the bakeries and you know, you know knock on their doors and ask them if they would participate in our project. And it was kind of hard. Now, almost 10 years later, we're about 10 years old now, it's, it's the other way around. We have so many bakery chains that ask us if they could give us um, their leftovers. So we have to turn them down and we don't have any sales or anyone going around and ask bakeries. It's kind of them asking us now at this time. But it, it took quite a while to hit that point. Have you always had an interest in addressing like the, the issue of food waste and even like more broadly climate change? Interest, yes, but uh, my profession, I'm, I'm heading uh, innovation departments. I used to do that at different large corporates in, in Switzerland. So it was, uh, I knew the methodology to build startups, to, to be an entrepreneur. Um, I did a different startups myself on the side. As I said, some of them worked, some of them didn't. Uh, not particularly in food waste. Yes, I, I studied chemistry originally, so I'm a, a natural scientist by training. But food waste, it was more coincidence because we, we we saw the opportunity and we saw, as I told you, that, uh, that the French bakery is selling old baguettes. And we, it's, it, I think it was just pure luck that we said, okay, let's try this in Switzerland. It worked out. So would you say that's been like the most surprising part about this journey starting up this, this baked good was just how... Uh, much of a need there was in the community or, or would you say there were, were other surprises that caught you by surprise both as an entrepreneur and just even as someone who is trying to tackle this for the first time we didn't think too much about you know selling food waste um, or marketing as something that that would have been thrown away we said well there's an opportunity because we could get cheap baked goods and and make business out of it so it, it was like convenience cheap prices good food and i think those kind of uh, were the drivers for our business not especially you know saving the planet and doing good for the environment those were factors that kind of played along and grew more and more important but i mean we ask also our customers why do you shop at our places and and mostly it's it's about price it's about being local it's about yes doing a good thing but that's more secondary there's very few people that you know go out of their way and and travel to the next town to get a bread that has been there uh, for more than a day um, but if it's close if it's cheap if it's good food they will do it and if it's if they're doing um, good for the for the environment that's that's even something on top that's really interesting and you know the Switzerland is ranked quite high in the world for you know it's like climate change performance. Like it is a country that other countries do look towards for, you know, the efforts that they put in. So it's interesting to me when you guys were planning this, that climate change wasn't the top choice. It's, I think there's two aspects to this. One is, I think you have to have a certain wealth to be environmental. Um, also in Switzerland, if you want to buy, you know, recycled toilet paper or, um, or plastic bags that decompose 
they're more expensive than the cheap plastic paper or the cheap toilet paper. So it's actually more expensive uh, to be to buy organic meat or to be more environmental. Yeah, that's, um, that's one thing. And in Canada, yeah. yes, probably yeah. worldwide. And it probably, yeah. And, and, and but because of Switzerland has a higher um, income, um, and generally is, is is wealthier. Probably it's it's more in in our DNA to spend a little bit more money on being environmental. And the second thing is, I think nowadays it's you can't be non-environmentally. Uh, you have to whatever you do, it has to be environmental. It has to be cheap, convenient, and so on. But if it's kind of hurting the environment, you have big, big uh, problem selling it to customers. So that's kind of a hygienic factor, I'd say. So, so it's a must-have. But you, you don't put it in front. You don't sell it as yes, come to shop at our place because then you do good for an environment because you would only attract very few people, and you wouldn't make a business out of it. Or it's a, it's kind of a small niche that you could only address. What's really interesting then about Aspar is like you, you mentioned, usually when you choose objects that are better for the planet or items that are better for the planet, they're more expensive. So it's really interesting with Aspar, it's the opposite. When you go to Aspar, it's cheaper to buy baked goods at this bakery than it is at any other bakery. So it's like one of the few things that are actually cheaper to choose the more environmentally friendly option than not. Yeah, yeah, I think many yeah. people would love to be more environmentally, but they can't afford it. And and that's why if you, if you can offer both, being cheaper and environmental, then you attract a lot of people. I mean, we have over lunchtime, you have to queue up, you have to wait in line for quite a long time to actually get your sandwich or your lunch. And that's because we have a high volume business. There's so many people coming in. We have very few uh, low margin, so we don't make profit out of those chains or whatever profit you make, we reinvest in the shops. So we're not taking any dividends out or anything. So that's why we have this huge number of people, customers coming to our places. And that's why you combine being kind of not expensive and doing good for your mind. That's just hitting both, both sides. That's why we are so successful. Yeah, I love that because I, I feel like regardless of what you prioritize in your life, whether that's convenience, whether that's uh, inexpensiveness, whether that's the environment, whether it's social um, activism, like all of those people can go to ASPAR and have their needs met and, and work on those priorities that, it, that are in their life. So that's really, yeah, that's really exciting. And I would love to know, like, how did you, because I know you, you talked a little bit about consulting with the communities before this became a bigger thing so what did you learn from those consultations and how did that work so how do you start a business and you're kind of especially the swiss we're kind of risk averse we we want to make sure that whatever we do is, is the right thing and uh, and so we, we started small and we you're we getting as i told you from those three bakeries you're getting stuff they they couldn't sell and brought it to a church ceremony and as a kind of a after, after ceremony, we, we offered the, the food for free, but then we interviewed all the people and asked them how they liked the food, how much they would pay for it, and if they would actually go to a shop and buy it and so on. And we collected all these feedbacks and then kind of made a, made a second round and, and so on. And so we gradually grew into a, to a real kind of shop. So it, it wasn't like, let's rent the space, let's... Uh, buy a, a bus for the logistics and so on, but we kind of grew slowly into actually becoming a, a small business. Uh, in the beginning, also, it was like uh, my three friends and I were actually doing 
the selling. So we were, we were collecting the foods ourselves. We were behind the counter and it took some time till we hired our first employees. And now we grew quite large, so we're around 120 people working for SBAR and they all earn their full salaries. So it's, it's non, uh, we don't have any volunteers or, or, or people working for free. So we have 120 people working for us and that's after 10 years. So that's how we gradually grew into a, a kind of a bit-sized company here in Switzerland. You know, something that I was really thinking about that was so great about, and I think what, what feeds into that success is you started small. You started with what like your communities need, which is, I often think, a, a topic of conversation in the environmental movement that a lot of projects work from the top down. Think about it like super globally, and then it tries to be a one-size-fits-all approach. And so what I love so much about Aspar is you guys went into your community, you were like, what can we do here? What do they have available? What would people pay? What wouldn't people pay? And then you guys created a product for them. It almost makes like these problems of like food waste a little bit more manageable in like coming up with solutions for your community because you're thinking about it on such a, like a, on a smaller scale that fits the needs of, of those people. And so I just wanted to point that out that I think that's amazing and a really good approach that I think, you know, is often one of those missing pieces in why there's so much climate in action. Yeah, and it grows. You know, in the beginning, we, we had a smaller selection. We only had one store in Zurich. That's the uh, biggest city we have in Switzerland. It's still quite small compared to the North Americas. But now we're doing also catering. We do delivery services. We're building a, an online web presence where you can actually buy online food waste, not just baked goods, but different types of foods. We produce different uh, upcycling um, foods and drinks um, and so on. So we kind of grew into a much larger business, but you couldn't have done it if you started with this. You have to start small and then kind of pivot your way through to something that that works. I, I think that's, that's the key to most uh, successful businesses. Would you say that's the role that you played in, in this whole project? You being, you know, the strategist and the entrepreneur, is this kind of like how you, so like, grew this business because that's what I also find interesting this was a four-person creation and I think that's also often missing when people think about climate action is they feel like they have to do it alone Mm -hmm. but it's really great that you worked as a team and it sounds like like what you brought to the table is this like business like growing you can tell I'm not a business major but like these (laughs) aspects of am I correct in saying that like this is kind of what you bring to the table and what how you've supported this all? I think most important is, is the team, as you always say in, in startups. Uh, you have to have trust with your business partners. And since we were friends, and that, that was kind of a given. And the second thing, which is even more important, it has to be fun. So if you have to do stuff that you don't like to do, you kind of get bored or you try to do something differently or avoid it, uh, and then it's not going to work. And since we were very different personalities, yeah, one is a banker, one is more a project leader for, for big uh, um, works. Uh, uh, he, he used to build tunnels and stuff, and the other one is a bio, uh, uh, biochemist. So very different backgrounds. And that's why it was kind of fun, because whatever we didn't really like to do, I, I'm not too much into finance. So my friend who was a banker took over the finance and the project leader, he was the, the guy organizing the business. And, and I was more creating, as you say, the, the new stuff and and kind of explore into or venture into new directions with the business. So you're kind of complementary. 
And since we we could do what we love to do, it it was always fun, and that was kind of driving what, what we did. We all had our jobs on the side, which is kind of a peculiar thing. Um, we we had the we, we all of us took like three months off from from our regular work. But then after those three months, we figured out that it, yes, it works, and that we hired people, and we kind of went back to our jobs. And 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 Asmore was kind of a a very intense hobby on the side, and 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 that's that's also something that's maybe special uh, for our project here. I think that's such a beautiful reflection for two reasons. One that we've talked about on the podcast several times of like, yeah, things need to be done in community and with a team. And with a lot of like great cohesion and we, Jordan and I even said that this podcast itself, like neither of us would have been able to do it alone. Like it's because we work together that it, that it happened. And, and so many of our other guests with their projects have said that, but one thing that I don't think has come up on the podcast that you just mentioned is that you need to find joy in this and, you know, addressing such large societal issues such as food waste and food insecurity is very daunting and very scary. Uh, but yet you're, you're showing that, yeah, you can address this and still have fun and still find joy and still be successful, which is so, like, that's such a gorgeous sentiment. And it's addictive. If you, if you have fun in doing what you're doing, um, you, you probably show it. And then your employees, they are more likely to show us that they have fun and your customer will see this and they're more happy to buy at your shop. So it's, it's kind of a, a positive cycle that kind of starts. If everyone is kind of not happy what they're doing, then you wouldn't find any customers. They they would like to go to your place. Yeah, and, and I feel and like I think that's key. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I feel, and I don't know what your experience is, but I feel like it would even reduce the the risk of burnout amongst the, the internal team as well, right? And I think burnout is such a huge issue among, I mean, among everyone really, especially during the pandemic, but. If you're yeah working on a project and you're having fun and you you get along with your team, that's I love that. Mm-hmm. I was gonna lead in on that too. I was I so as the name of our podcast suggests, you know, a lot of what we try to do is normalize that notion that we don't have to be perfect at everything. And so I'm really curious here, not only how you and your team have kind of like dealt or even struggled with perfection when it when it's come to this project, but have you found that because you guys went into this wanting to have fun, it's kind of helped reduce the pressure of perfection because you guys are just doing something that you're passionate about. I wouldn't call it perfectionism. I would say you have to you have to make sure where you can improvise and where you have to be perfect. And I'd like to improvise as much as possible. For example, when I we like started that. the S bar, um, we for logistics you need a, a cool how do you call this? A cooling bus, a bus that's kind of has a refrigerator in it because all the baked goods that contain meat or, or animal products like um, butter and so on, you have to cool it all the time and it has to be precisely at four degrees Celsius. Um, but that those buses are very expensive. So we started intentionally in winter, where in Switzerland it's very cold anyway, so we, we could use a normal regular bus uh, for the first few months before spring and once you know we, we had this very cheap bus that worked because it was winter and we knew the business was working then we switched to something more professional had a proper cooling bus so those kind of improvisation i think are important because if you're too perfect and uh, all the time uh, you couldn't make it work and um, also the logo 
uh, I think it was a friend of ours who created it, not very professionally. And then over time, we perfected it. And it, some people say you have to have the perfect brand in the beginning, and it's hard to change and so on. I don't think that's true. We also had Asbar, and we figured out, well, in English, it doesn't really make sense because it, has, it might have a different meaning. But also Switzerland has um, four different um, languages that are spoken officially, and we want to go into the Western part of Switzerland where we speak French, and Asbar doesn't work there either. And so we were thinking, oh, do we have to rename the whole thing and so on? And we weren't thinking about that too much when we started. But now it's also called Asbar in the Western part, and people love it because it's kind of, it's like Ikea selling their furniture. They have all these Nordic names and people love it because it sounds exotic and, and different and it's Ikea and the same is true for Asbar. It's not perfect name, but people kind of recognize it and they love it because it's something different. And, and I think that's, you could, you could call it not, not professional uh, and, and most big corporates would do it that way, but I think it's more sympathetic and, uh, and, and, and people like it because it's different. And I give a different example. We, we, we couldn't afford a proper checkout um, cashier, how do you call this, uh, where you can put in money and, and print receipts and so on, um, uh, because it, they're very expensive and you need to program at them and so on. So we decided all our baked goods, they have even whole Swiss francs prices. So it's one franc or two francs or three francs but nothing was like three francs and 70 rappen. It's just three francs because that is much easier to calculate and you didn't have, you know, you have much easier ways to exchange uh, uh, the coins and so on. So that was also one way to make sure that without being too precise and too professional to have a business that works. And people loved it because also for them, it's much easier. Everything was like whole numbered francs and, um, uh, when they, they were buying stuff and it was easy for them to calculate themselves and so on. So those are kind of few examples how to be not perfect, but to make it in a way that's, that people actually like being not perfect. I actually, I love that last example of the, the francs because in Canada, we don't include the tax and the price that you see. So you don't even know what the price is until you get to the counter and they like ring it up for you. And so this is just so easy. You're like making it like double easy that there's not going to be any um, cents. There's just going to be the, the full dollar amount. And yeah, people can just, they know exactly what they need to pay for way before they even arrive at the counter. So as a Canadian consumer, I really appreciate that. And I also, I kind of, what I love about these examples too is like you've talked about, and I think we've talked about before is I think a lot of people feel a lot of pressure to be perfect, to, like you said, get the right name. I think we were on our name for oh, weeks, months. It took yeah, us a long we time. A long time on that. Oh, it's too long. Yeah, I think way too long. But like you said, like you, you get uh, bogged down with all these like itty bitty details. And like you said, in the grand scheme of it, like it didn't even really matter. And people found what they needed to in those names or, or you guys made these um, improvements that people just ended up like really liking for in, in reasons that you didn't even expect. So I really love the adaptability that you and your team had too. Cause I think that's also something that people forget too is like when you do try something it's not going to get right the first time and you do need to adapt and I think like you said the success of your business has come from the fact that you guys have 
adapted and also put your focus in other important things and like less on the, those itty bitty details of like, and like spending money on a, on a, on a cash register, spending money on a bus, you guys got creative. And I think, I think that could be a source of inspiration for people who maybe don't have a lot of income or a lot of those finances available to start their own things in whatever way that they, that they can. And even just learning how to market themselves too. Uh, I think it's all like really good lessons. Yeah. And if you're proud about it and and you don't, you're not not afraid of being different. I think that's, that's, yeah, that's very important as well. And people will feel that and they, they wouldn't, I mean, one of the biggest brands um, and, and most valuable companies, Apple, and I don't think they, they thought about, you know, what, what would Apple stand for when they start the whole company? Now you have so many fans that love Apple and the brand and because they're proud of it and they're different and, and yeah, I think we're doing something, something similar, much smaller scale, of course, but yeah, do something and be proud about it. And that's, that's more important. Are you ever worried about, um, or do you ever feel pressure about the uncertainty of it? Like you said, this is quite new for Switzerland. Like, I think you guys were one of the first company, like business type, this type of business there. Like, is there a lot of uncertainty that you guys deal with when it comes to, yeah, like, not only when you started it, but like even now to keep it going, because it isn't new. Like this is like, like you said, like, is there pressure to expand this, make this bigger, make this better? Yeah, especially in the in the context that you mentioned that the Swiss are very risk averse. So I'd love to know like how you deal with taking risks and being uncertain and how do you navigate that? Well, I think we founders, we, yeah, we are not that, I mean, very proud of Aspar. But if it, if it, for whatever reason, wouldn't work anymore, if you would just try something else and something new. I think it was a great journey and, and we loved it, but uh, no big remorse. But at the same time, uh, I feel we have a big responsibility for, for our um, employees. We have uh, more than 100 employees. So we couldn't just stop and throw it away because there are a lot of shops attached to it now and a lot of people depending now also on our outlets and and, and so on so i think it's it's getting more and more corporate uh, complicated and almost being as a corporate if you grow in size you have more structures more responsibilities and so on i think what remained is that we like to try new things and it's much easier if you have a base that works if you have an s or with, uh, with outlets and you have bakeries that that donate their their goods then you can try different stuff. If you have to start from scratch, it's much more difficult. You don't have the structures and finance and so on. Now for us, it's much easier and it's very different. A lot of different new opportunities arise out of this. Um, people know us, they trust us. Uh, also big brands approach us now, not just bakery chains. Uh, we, we had one big producer and, and they have leftovers, very little in percentage wise. I think it's 0.3% leftovers than we have but it's several tons every day because they're so big and they produce a lot of these uh, goods and so we're thinking okay how about using this and doing something else with it and you couldn't sell it our uh, over our outlets because it's just too big but they approach this because we have this brand we have the structure we have the trust of the of the people and companies so now we can try new things and, and i think that that keeps us uh, going and, and trying new stuff I love that. I even just, I, I love the idea too, that immediately you said like, if Aspar fails, we would just try something else. And I think that also 
again, that piece on resilience to... Uh, if, if you look at, the, I think the biggest problem you're facing um, on Earth is, is global warming. It's, it's, it's the CO2 level, it's the different gas in the atmosphere that just heats up the atmosphere. And, and you feel it now, it's, it's, it's a heat wave, not a heat wave here in Zurich, record temperatures uh, throughout the world, actually. And I think this is the biggest problem we tackled. In Switzerland, about 30% of CO2 is produced in, in the food industry. So producing food, agriculture, but also consumers um, heating up and so on. So a third, that's more than twice as big as the whole mobility industry. So more than cars and planes and, and, and whatever you, you put in the mobility sector, it's only half, half as much producing CO2 than, than, than food. And if you know that about a third, and in, 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 in for baked goods, almost 50% of the food created is being wasted, not being eaten, is being thrown away, then you can see that food waste amounts to much CO2, producing CO2 as the entire mobility sector here in Switzerland, which is huge. So if you could solve the food waste issue, then we are in a much better place. So if you think, okay, if you want to do something good for the environment, you can think of producing better fuel or more environmental vehicles and so on, but the leverage is much bigger in the food sector. So that's why I think if you think of new ideas, we're probably going to stick in the food sector, which because you're helping the, the, the biggest issue we have at the moment, the, the global warming at most, but you also have a different aspect. It's poverty. It's, um, it's 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 more and more land use you need for food and so on. Um, you, you you can see it now with the Ukrainian war going on that that food is, is is playing a huge role globally, and you have to find ways to solve the issues at hand. And mobility is very important, but it's much smaller. Housing very important, much smaller. Clothing very important, much smaller. If you can find solutions for food, then you you have a big dent you're gonna make. Yeah, that's Vegans. a lot of food waste. I didn't realize it was so high. Yeah, no, it's it, it's blowing my mind. It, the problem is, and and that's that's why the bakeries have to pr- overproduce, so to say. Uh, and we have the same issue at our places at the S bar. Is if you don't have enough selection in the evening, people people will not come into your store and buy stuff. If there's only one bread left, although it it would have been the bread they're they're going to buy anyway. They're not going to buy it. No one's buying the last piece, a loaf of bread. So you have to have kind of a, a, a kind of a, a selection in the evening in the evening. And we see that also at the S bar. If the S bar is not having a kind of a selection in the evening, we lose we lose revenue. So we have to have collect more than we actually can sell. And it's about 10%. So um, we ourselves have 10% leftovers from from whatever we, we collected during the day. And we give it to, to different societies, uh, uh, poor people, uh, but also animal feed and so on. So we're not throwing it away, but still if we, if we would collect less, so we just sell out everything in the evening, we would lose a lot of revenue and our business wouldn't work. And that's the, that's the problem with, uh, with most businesses here in the, in the retail, the food sector. You have to have overproduction, otherwise people will not buy it. And to change that, that's very tough. And some bakeries said, okay, let's, sell our leftovers in the evening or overproduced bread for half the price in the evening. And you'll find that people adapt very quickly and they'll just wait and buy their stuff in the evening because they have price. So that wasn't a solution for most of the bakeries. So they're actually happy. If you get the, 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 the baked goods, 
take them out of their store and sell them in another town, another area of, of, of Zurich and so on, because that is too far away for people to wait until it's evening and cheaper. So they'll, they'll just go buy the regular price bread. I love that even though there's that, that 10% that you're still not able to sell in the end, you're still not letting it go to waste. Like there's still other uses for it. And I think that's, that's a really great model because there is so much like just getting food tossed out regardless, right? So there are other uses than, uh, you know, humans buying them. You can donate it. You can, yeah, there's, there's several other uses. So that's really great. And I'm, I love to hear that. Uh, I'm curious if your own eating habits and your own food waste habits in your household have changed since you started this project? Um, probably yes, but not because of myself, but more my family. <laughs> They're pushing me to eat less meat or to, to maybe eat the bread also on the third day. Um, but yeah, it definitely, because I was uh, researching a lot in, in the area, I understand more what's going on and the impact but I'm probably too lazy or not focused enough myself at home. So I'm very happy that my family takes this part and tries to nudge me into the, the right direction. It seems like you inspired your family and then your family inspired you right back. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are there any other like activists or entrepreneurs or just anyone in your life that has really inspired this journey for you? I think it's, yes, I mean, there are, there are big names like Al Gore and so on, but I think people inspire me are more the people around you that, you know, don't eat meat or take the stairs and stuff, the elevator, or like those little things that that make you think, okay, if they can do it, I am, I'm not myself doing it. Um, and I think as, as with Espar, we're very decentralized, very local, very community driven. And I think my inspiration, I take also from those very, close by people and, and communities I'm, I'm actually integrated with and not the, you know, the big names you hear on television and so on. But uh, whatever, whatever works for, for, for everyone. I personally find Aspar inspiring and talking to you very inspiring. Like yeah, I, I think I've learned so much. Yeah, no, this has been so lovely and so special. And yeah, I, I'm still processing like the reframing of how to, make things green and that you don't need to you know shove the environmentalism down people's throats and force that upon people you can make environmentalism fun you can make it convenient you can make it cheaper and and everyone wins in the end when you do that it's almost ironic mm. that to make things greener we have to be less green about it like i i think mm. that's what been what the i think the biggest takeaway that i've learned so much from i think your whole aspar project is that you know you can help the planet without making the planet the focus. And it actually might be more beneficial for the planet to do so, which is like a weird way of thinking about, I guess, how we've been taught about climate change, at least for me, is that it needs to be the center focus and it needs to be something that's on everyone's mind first. And I think that's not sustainable for a lot of, a lot of people, like you mentioned, like the con most consumers are either like, you know, lazy, tired, don't have the money, don't have the resources, don't have the privilege to do these things. And so if we want to don't target even have more the people, energy, yeah, yeah, like the, in order to target more people, we need to be addressing those needs first. And in doing so, it will like simultaneously be better for the planet. Yeah, I, I, I give you a, a very similar idea I came upon um, just recently. So there are many 
many groups trying to you know bring us and and be vegan rather than using regular milk using soy milk or almond milk and so on and they are kind of pushing being vegan uh, and that that doesn't really work or it only works for a, a niche that's already kind of um, not using animal products but now we have this one company that's that's i think creating almond or soy milk i don't remember exactly and they market it as as, as this milk actually produces the better foam for cappuccino. So people are buying now this milk because they can make better cappuccino and not because it's vegan, but it's better foam. And so indirectly, they, they make use non-animal products, but for different reasons. And I think this is a very clever idea to not directly use the, you have to be vegan because because then you attract the people that already know all about it. But you have to find a different reason why to buy this soy milk, and and that kind of works for many many things. Try 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 to find out the, a driver that's that's convenience, that's price, that's anything else but being environmental. But do it in a way that you kind of are environmental by doing so. Yeah, it's like free, reframing the narrative almost mm-hmm. around climate discourse, which is like so I, like it's hard for me to wrap my head around that's kind of the approach that works because it's so opposite to what at least I know and have been taught a little bit about the environment, but I didn't do, get a, my degree in it. So Mimi, I don't know if that's the same for you. Well, I was just reflecting on the the fact that we've done so many different conversations in this podcast about the psychology of climate change and how mainly how climate change impacts us psychologically, but we haven't talked about the psychology of, you know, habits in this way. And I think this is just so fantastic to hear this new reframing and this new narrative. Yeah, but there's a lot of those ideas that, that work, you know, indirectly. Um, I've seen a gym that kind of makes you use the stairs instead of the elevator because you're kind of warming up and lose calories doing so. And that mm-hmm. works. Mm-hmm. Before they kind of market the stairs as being a part of the, the fitness parkour, everyone was using the elevator going to the gym. And now they're saving energy and, and all these kind of things um, because they kind of found a way to market the stairs. But you, know, you have to be creative about it. Yeah, I love and have fun, right? I love yeah. that. And, yeah. and be, and be okay fun. to be different. I think mm-hmm. that was also, mm-hmm. I think, a key thing for you that you guys said is you want it to be different and you kind of harnessed that difference into mm-hmm. why you guys have been so successful. So, no, this mm-hmm. has been a really fruitful conversation. Yeah, thank you. I've so really much. enjoyed it. And thank you, yeah, for taking the time to talk to two random people in Canada about uh, baked goods in Switzerland. Uh, definitely didn't think fun. our podcast yeah. would be going this direction, but I'm so glad it has. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Okay, thanks you too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Imperfect Eco Hero. Stay connected with us through our Instagram at imperfect underscore eco hero or email us at imperfectecohero at gmail.com. If you want to learn more about our podcast or see resources related to this episode, visit our website, imperfectecohero.com.